GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. For the first time in 28 years, a new poppy has been developed for this year's appeal. It's made of paper. We discussed it with the chairman of the Royal British Legion in Gibraltar, Honorary Colonel Francis Brancato. Cultural Services' Davina Barbara spoke to us about local stories shared by local people on Literature Week. And what do you like about GBC and what would you change? James Niche, the GBC Chief Executive, is launching a new audience survey. But first, many home refurbishment projects by SFA could be left unfinished or not even started. The company has cancelled all operations. Does this affect you? Amy says so many people who work hard to save their money to do up their current or new homes have gone through months of minimal contact from the company SFA, which has been a renovations company. And Amy says, now this, yes, it's sad for the company, but it's even sadder for all of us. Carol says if it's liquidation that the company is going to go through, which isn't yet confirmed, but it looks likely, if it is liquidation, it could mean that there are no refunds. And even if there are some refunds, they could take years to materialise, according to Carol, who says she really feels that putting your trust in a local company on this occasion has not been rewarded. And also Natalie got in touch to say that it's not just new homeowners who've been impacted at Hassan Centenary Terraces, it's not just them but many other people who have lost money that should have gone towards improving their homes hard-won money. Our reporter Shalina Asimol has been following this story. People have put their money into this business in good faith. Um, Anecdotally, we are hearing some shocking figures, 12k, 15k. Some people are still hopeful they could get the works done or or money back. Uh, So they have been a little bit hesitant, you know, to, to pursue this any further. I suppose it's they don't know right now, right? The company's just said that they've cancelled all operations and they're seeking legal advice. So people are really in limbo right now. Um, Others have given up completely and are, you know, telling us all about their experience. And there are some uh, really shocking stories out there. Um, One person told us um, they wanted to stay anonymous because they were scared um, the company actually has their keys still as they were waiting on work. This would be a new homeowner? Yes, uh, Hassan Centenary Terraces. And actually, it's quite... um, it's quite interesting. I'm here telling you about this today. Just last week, we spoke to homeowners in Hassan Centenary Terraces about how excited they were to move in and, and the new works that they were doing and how that process can be stressful but exciting. And, you know, on the back of that, to now get this news, it must just be really not what Their excitement for. will have collapsed into anxiety about yeah, what happens next absolutely. and how much, if any, of the money that they've already put forward for the, these refurbishments, yeah. they might recover. Buying a house is stressful, but um, it just got a whole lot more stressful for these people. Uh, so this particular person uh, told us that the company even set up a payment plan uh, to alleviate pressure. Uh, they'd given a discount for Hassan Centenary Terrace.
terrace tenants. So it all sounded very affordable. And of course, this company did have a very good reputation. A lot of people have trusted them before and uh, been happy with their work. So a lot of these people feel very disheartened by the fact they had faith in the company yeah. uh, and now that's been let down. Lourdes is one of those people, she says, Gebena, they've worked so hard to build up the business for many years. Yeah, I, yeah, I think exactly. that's a sentiment shared that by is... many people. Liz, so sorry to hear this. SFA have been in business for many years now. Absolutely. Uh, this um, person who spoke to us said that um, they've only got two weeks now to organise themselves because they're a government tenant and they were working as quickly as they could to actually get out of their property and hand that back to the government. So there's also a lot of stress and anxiety a about the next A knock-on effect for anybody who was in Absolutely. a chain. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people involved. Um, another person that spoke to us, her name is Izzy, um, and she told us she has lost about £8,000 to SFA. Um, she says that this has been saved over years. They, her family have three children um, and she says you can imagine how devastated we are by this so situation. So she, she thinks, she's, she's giving that money up as lost she, now. She's speaking about it like it's gone, I think. It depends on um, the individual situation, but uh, generally people seem to have been trying to reach out to the company uh, for weeks, if not months. Some might have had a bit more of response than others, but I suppose for those that have heard this news, had no response in such a long time, they are essentially writing off that money what are they going to do i don't think they can they can yeah. be that hopeful anymore when no. they find themselves in this position yeah. unfortunately Th- thomas is another who's commented on the story absolutely shocking so many of us saving for years to move into our forever homes and now we have lost thousands of pounds uh, so uh, i had a, a figure from one person this morning as as high as 20,000 pounds wow um so it, you really your heart goes out to those absolutely. people and uh, I think the cherry on top of it all is, of course, these homes have been long awaited. Uh, people have been waiting for their homes in Hassan Centenary for, you know, about five years even, some of them. So um, they finally get their dream home. And uh, as uh, Izzy said to us now, we've been left hanging. We'd hope to be in our home by Christmas and that's no longer feasible. Of course, with Christmas around the corner, people must have had so many plans and hopes and uh, now just... Are left feeling a bit defeated, and and, and um, these people we've been speaking to, they they had a growing sense that something was not right, no, because there had been radio silence for a, a number of weeks. Absolutely. So there's actually, uh, I've been looking into this all morning. There's a group of people, like a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group, um, that have purchased or invested with SFA in one way or another and they actually made this group because there was such a growing concern about the lack of response from the company. Um, Many of them have paid up front for their works, like we said, in good faith so it is a a big amount. And and some, I mean, I think it's quite common for uh, companies to ask for 50% up front Mm -hmm. but I think this was a particularly busy period uh, with so many people moving into Hassan Centenary Terraces in a short space of time uh, that I think that some companies have been asking for more than 50% and and, uh, I don't know if we know if SFA was one of those companies who were asking for 100% up front. Yes, it's not clear uh, whether this is um, deposits or if this is full payments up front. I suppose there are individual circumstances for each. Um, But we did actually see a post from SFA from earlier this year saying just how busy they were with Hassan Centenary Terrace owners so they clearly have had a lot of work for those people 
Um, okay, so uh, Stephen says he knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Stephen thinks that the company has been struggling for the past two years, uh, owing money to other companies, according to Stephen. Uh, and now he hears that the company uh, was also asking for deposits to new homeowners, and Stephen thinks that that's not on. Vanessa points to the th- fact that this isn't the first time that uh, something like this has happened. It happened with Akmoda, uh, and she thinks that nothing has been done um, satisfactorily, at least I suppose, uh, for Vanessa about that. And um, and Lindsay says she feels so sorry for those who have paid deposits for their homes to be completed, and especially now, just before Christmas, when they might have been hoping you know, to to try and move in before Christmas, which is always a special time of the year for, for people who celebrate the, the festival, uh, the holiday, uh, you know, to, to be in uh, in your new home uh, when it's cold outside, I think would have been a, sort of a goal that a lot of people were aiming for. And and uh, and certainly, if they had uh, had put money to, towards their refurbishments with SFA, that then there's now a big question mark over mm-hmm. what happens next. And and we're trying to get a little bit more yes. uh, of a better understanding uh, whether there are uh, whether the office of fair trading is involved, yes. whether the police yeah. is involved. Absolutely. So the police did tell us that they have one report um, of a person saying that they well they claim that they've given this company X amount of money and now have had nothing back but so far that's just one report Uh, we've reached out to the Office of Fair Trading we know from people that we've spoken to that there are a lot of people that have written to the office already Um, and as Vanessa mentioned you know it's not the first time we've heard of something similar in the case of ACMODA so we would really like to hear uh, more from them but we're waiting um, for some information from them so hopefully we'll get more on that soon in the meantime i am very much working on this story um and you know reporting on this is really important it's it's, it's a big story it's real lives real people and we do want to share those stories so if anyone's listening and they would like to share their experience with us uh, for this report please do get in touch with us um at news at gbc.gi or you can call the newsroom on 200 79810 all right shalina asimov thank you so much for joining us thank and you, um, and we look forward to to seeing what else uh, I don't know if look forward is no, the right maybe term, but, not, we'll, but we'll be following this story with, with interest. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. For the first time in 28 years, a new poppy has been developed for this year's appeal uh, by the Royal British Legion. It's the biggest fundraising campaign uh, held every year in November, uh, the period of remembrance. Uh, and uh, the chair of the Royal British Legion in Gibraltar, Francis Brancato, is in the studio now. Uh, good afternoon to you, sir, and uh, thank good you for joining you. us. Uh, uh, let's start with that new poppy, which uh, which has had people talking, made of paper instead of plastic it is yeah it's uh, i've got it here if you want to yeah yes please there you go um yeah so um, the legion strut is going plastic free and those are the new the new poppies made of paper i think it's the first change in the poppy for nearly 30 years um obviously they're gradually being phased out because you can imagine there's millions and millions of poppies you've got a lot of copies that you wouldn't be environmentally friendly to just ditch those so so the next couple of years we will will hope to get rid of all the plastic ones but of course, we still have the enamel ones, you know, the bit more special ones, which are rudimental issue or, you know, type, that type of... Uh, is, is that what you're wearing now? Yes, I'm wearing the, the rudimental one, the, the Roger Walter Regiment one, yes. But there are loads of them. I, I picked up a pin badge when I was in the UK because I, I, I found that it, it's just easier because yeah. I, the, the other one I, I'd lose, you know, you're yeah. wearing with a pin yes. sometimes. And people are good. I mean, obviously, you know, they pay for, for that, but then 
on the day itself or the puppy, they always give something as well in terms of donation. So it's not really that we miss out on And, and on where anything. do where where does the money go? Well the money goes the money collected on Poppy Day goes back to the main headquarters of the Legion in the UK. Um which is where you know all the money from all the branches and all the fundraising from the UK goes to. Uh, and then it's a proportioned out as and when is required. So for example we you know go back to UK and request funding depending on whether we have any uh, deserving cases. We have a welfare officer who is at the point of contact, so any member who has any need can contact the welfare officer. He'll go through, he'll help him to see what his needs are, where he can access funding and what specific needs are. And if there's anything that's required, then we, we apply and, and get the grant from UK or, or indeed anything else in terms of specialist advice because there are a number of um, different um, uh, sort of sub-charities within the Legion who look after disabled personnel, blind that type of thing. So depending on, on the requirement of the member. And of course, it's not only just for members. I mean, we also have a remit to look after ex-servicemen and serving personnel, whatever their cat badge, and if they're not members of the Legion. That we tend to do generally putting them in the right direction of where they have to apply in terms of, you know, regimental association or service charities like SAFA or something like that. Uh, and here in Gibraltar, you know, we're very lucky. We've got a very good medical and care system. So we haven't got that many cases uh, because we tend to find that generally they are catered. They're looked after they're looked already. After. But, you know, we do have X, a number of, of, of deserving cases every year, which, um, which we know we look after. So, so that's where it, where it goes. And what's the significance of um, the remembrance yeah. aspect of, of the weekend? I think it's very important. I mean, you know, for me especially, the remembrance is about honouring those who gave their lives in not only two world wars, but, you know, operations... Uh, subsequent to that um, and of course you know as member of the local branch I have a special remit for our Gibraltarian dead and as we know we, we've had a few of those in the in both world wars and hence we have the armistice day at the lobby of the House of Assembly which has the names of all the Gibraltarians who, who sadly you know uh, died in, in the wars so for me personally I like to keep their names and their memory going so that is for me um, but of course, in the wider context of remembrance, uh, it's also about acknowledging the the serving personnel and you know what they do in terms of defending our freedoms and a way of life. Uh, life as we know it today wouldn't be what it is without sacrifices that people have made in the past. Exactly. It's it's very important that we acknowledge that that you know the 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 hard days that um, they went through, uh, the sacrifice that they gave, uh, especially in the Second World War, because it was such a a crucial war in terms of, you know, defending a way of life. But we shouldn't forget those others, you know, who, at the end of the day, um, people either volunteer, some were conscripted, but it's they were sent to do a job, and that's, for most of them, that was their, their profession, that was their career. So uh, I think it encompasses just more than the, the two world wars, although we tend to concentrate in those two world wars because of the significance that, they've had on, on people's lives. And the number of people involved. Exactly, the number of people involved, you know, millions. Um, we, we've we had in Gibraltar, we had many who volunteered in the First World War and equally we had many for the Second World War. Um, in terms of numbers, uh, hundreds really. So for a small population, we've we've suffered, you know, uh, proportionally to, to what uh, towns and cities in the UK did as well.
And of course we tend to uh, think of those world wars um, uh, as part of our history and mm-hmm. certainly it's important to understand your history to know uh, and, and understand more about where we are today and sure. where we're going. Um, but there are also, of course, two wars not far from us at the moment, Russia and Ukraine, Israel, Hamas in, in Gaza, which are very distressing. Um, what would you say to people who are following those conflicts and, 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 and what sort of how do you square the, the, the remembrance with sort of acknowledgement that, of course, there are people currently serving in the regiment and there are currently mm. uh, soldiers yeah. at war, not for not Well, I think us. it brings it into context in terms of, you know, that anything could happen at very short notice. You know, nobody was expecting a, a major war in Europe. Um, arguably, you know, nobody was expecting that level of, of violence currently happening now in the Middle East. But it just brings home that, you know, uh, people can be deployed at short notice and that everybody's or the soldiers' lives is put at risk at very, very short notice. And, and of course, they are called to do what their political masters are told, uh, are, are the orders that they follow. So, you know, they've got no say in what they, they deploy to or what they fight. Um, but it is, it brings everything in very, very uh, close perspective of in context of what's happening now, yes. And do you, when, when sort of people join the armed forces, uh, to what extent are those conversations, um, you know, had and, and to what extent do they play on their minds mm. that uh, ultimately they could be called upon to serve in active duty and mm. possibly even pay yeah. the ultimate price for doing so? Of course, it's made very, very clear from the moment that you sign up, especially when you're doing your basic training, that you are being trained to basically go to war. Um, whether the young recruits, you know, is able to um, process all that, it's difficult to say. But certainly it is made very, very clear to them that this is, you know, the ultimately what they have been trained to do and, that, and what the ultimate price you know, could be um, as part of that service. And uh, could you talk to us a little bit about, um, for for people, I mean, a, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with the poppy, but for somebody, a younger mm-hmm. listener perhaps, what is the significance, the symbolic significance of the poppy? Why has it come to signify mm-hmm. remembrance and sacrifice? Yeah. Well, it all goes back to the First World War, you know, to the end of the First World War, where after the guns went silent and, and people started going back, shortly after, I mean, the, the first soldiers went back to to the front in the very early 20s. In fact, the Legion was formed in 1921. So it was very, very recent. And they suddenly went back and saw that, you know, what had previously been uh, the battlefield was full of these red poppies. And I think it became very symbolic, you know, because obviously the colour, the shed blood, and it was adopted very early on as a symbol of of that conflict. Uh, And um, it just kept on going. It then became very, very popular in the 20s and it just took off from then. Okay, and uh, just by way of reminder then, you've introduced a a new, the the Royal British Legion has introduced a new paper uh, version, uh, the new uh, cop, the first time that the design has been altered in 28 years. Uh, You'll slowly start introducing this alongside the plastic ones because there is a supply of those already that you need to um, use. But but the general thinking is uh, that uh, this is a sustainable product now. As you create new ones, you will not be contributing to to sort of plastic pollution. That's exactly it, yes. And of course, the, the puppies are all made by Legion members, ex-servicemen in, in the factories in the UK. That was started in the 20s as a means of employing, you know, the, the, the soldiers in the First World War. So it's important that the Legion, you know, shows that as well, that, you know, and uh, we're moving towards sustainability. I think it's an important aspect of, of the Legion as a corporate entity uh, doing that. 
And finally, your message for um, for former servicemen and women, um, uh, and uh, what are you hoping? What do you, when you look ahead to this weekend's uh, Armistice Day and Remembrance Sunday, what role will will they play? And is there anything that they need to know? Yeah, they obviously they will be part of the parade. We'll have a, a small quarter guard for Armistice Day at uh, Parliament as is usual, consisting of veterans and serving members of the regiment. And then on the Sunday itself, there will be a much larger guard with the three services, with a band, and of course, veterans, not only from the Legion, but also from different regimental associations, some coming from UK, as they usually do, some coming up from the coast. Um, but it's important that you don't have to belong to the Legion to take part in the parade. Um, you just got to turn up at around 11.30 at the Bristol Hotel, on well, Saturday? On Sunday. On, on Sunday, Sunday. Remember Sunday, Sunday yes. sorry. And we'll put you in this sort of order. And as long as you remember how to march, which I'm sure nobody ever forgets, uh, then you'll be in parade and we'll, we'll march out with the, with the troops, um, get the usual, get the inspection, and take part in the very, very poignant ceremony. All right, so that's Remembrance Sunday and then Armistice Day is on Saturday. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining us. Um, The chair of the Royal British Legion in Gibraltar, Francis Brancato. Thank you very much. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Now, what would you like changed at GBC? What do you like about the current offering. We're carrying out uh, an audience survey. We're launching it tomorrow. We did one last year uh, after the chief executive, James Niche, took over. He's been keen to make sure that the public tells the public broadcaster what it wants. Uh, So 250 face-to-face surveys were carried out at the Piazza last year and tomorrow GBC will be there again on Main Street by Parliament asking you for feedback. And uh, James Niche joins me now. Uh, Good afternoon. And uh, what's the significance of this? Does it actually set the agenda for GBC or is it you know sort of uh, a a bit of a PR exercise to to speak to people and and hear their thoughts? Uh, Good afternoon Jonathan first of all let me just uh, start by saying that that uh, clip that you've just uh, played that very brave interview that you've mentioned how lucky we are at GBC to have people come forward and tell very difficult stories sometimes as a public service broadcaster our aim is always to share and to listen to our community uh, to share stories with people to help where we can Um, and of course on the back of that that's partly what we would like to do tomorrow. You asked me whether it's a public relations exercise. I suppose every time you go out into the community, there is an element of PR uh, because we want to talk to people. We want to find out. But uh, we are led by the data. And a year ago, I said that uh, changes that we wanted to carry out would be informed by what people told us. So the first raft of changes, so to speak, came as a result of that public consultation exercise. I had some ideas that I wanted to bring. The staff contributed some ideas, but then we went out to the community and it sort of focused our energies where we want them to go. We now, a year on, want to see, well, it's a year on since my arrival and it's about six months since the majority of the changes. We just want to see where we are at. We Whether the direction of travel is one that our community, our viewers, our listeners agree with, or perhaps that there are things 
that we might want to do differently. So it's a journey, you've said direction of travel, you're conscious that GBC is on a journey and that there are still, you still know that there's distance to be travelled yet. Absolutely, and not everything I've, I've always said, I've sat here in the past, I've sat on TV on, on different programmes and I've always said we're not perfect, it's not exactly how we want it to be. Um, you might have watched Stephen Cumming who's producing one of our documentaries on City Pulse last night and he was talking about the, the challenges throughout. When people see a budget which looks a very healthy budget but then you compare it with other broadcasters and and the number of people that somebody would have to deliver a radio or TV programme. You were an attachment on Radio 2 only last week on the Jeremy Vine show and you see things done from a different way but you also see maybe not a huge team but a slightly bigger team so you know so you would have you have two producers or you have one producer and one assistant for this show and maybe if you were somewhere else you would have four or you would have five. So it's about... And, and everybody involved is on the payroll. Ex- exactly. And also, and everybody involved in that as well, Jonathan, is doing one job. So, for example, the Jeremy Vine team belongs to the Jeremy Vine show. They are not like you or me trying to do 20 other things in one day. And there's good and bad, you know, but we are a small channel. We are a, a local community channel. And as long as we're ticking the boxes and, and just delivering for people the best that we can be with the resources, with the money available, and, you know, and just being slightly different where we can, like I say, delivering for the community. So you'll be on Main Street tomorrow by Parliament again, and 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 what's the the plan? You do face to face interviews with people, but if people don't want to do an interview, they're free to also contribute in some other way. Yeah, so we've got a public survey, so we'll have our staff members out there filling in the questionnaire for you if you want, or we'll give you an iPad and you can do that. It's it's very similar to the audience survey that we did a year ago, so very similar questions because we want to compare like for like. But also, I'm going to be there at the piazza from. 10 to 6, like I say, we don't shy away from criticism. So if there's something that you like, come and tell us. If there's something that you don't like, come and tell us as well. Perhaps you have an idea. Come and share it. And the weather should be good. I hope so. All right. So uh, help help to shape the future of GBC. Take part in our audience survey between 10 and 6 tomorrow at the Piazza or just come down and give James Nish a piece of your mind. <laughs> as if people needed encouragement uh, to do yes, that. I'll be there from 10 to 6. <laughs> Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Also in full flow, Literature Week. Literature Week, not Literary Festival. Uh, I said Gibraltar it's easy, Literature Week. <laughs> it's easy to, to make the mistake and it make is. the mistake I did. Uh, it's day two of the programme, celebrating local authors ahead of next week's Literary Festival. Uh, Gibraltar Cultural Services, Davina Barbara is here. Uh, how did day one go, Davina? Really well. Brilliant start. Everything runs smoothly. But ultimately, it's about those stories being shared, those discussions, the storytelling, the sessions at the schools and, you know, articles in the media, the interviews on Radio Gibraltar. It's having that excitement, that uh, build up, which we hope continues during the week. So an audience with sessions. Um, were were very well received. You know, we've got them to a live audience. They're streamlined. They're being recorded by GBC as well for broadcast at a later date. And really, that's what it's all about. Embracing Gibraltarian literature, promoting our authors, giving them a platform, talking about uh, Gibraltar's uh, history, our heritage, that social commentary and all things related. So yesterday, the mayor, Carmen Gomez, talking a little bit about Doctor Who. 
maybe? or Just a little, yeah. But she delved into her, her TV career and her West End um, experiences as well. Um, all relating to her book and basically her life experiences and story. And she was interviewed by Stephen Nish as well. And then we had Knows Sonia. Knows a thing or two yeah, about just interviewing. A, just a thing or two because it is important for us to get those right pairings. It's not only about our authors, but it's also about, you know, pairing them with the right interviewers so that they can really connect and uh, really make uh, bring bring their stories to life as it were okay and um uh, what else is is lined up we've got uh, daily interviews uh, audience an audience with uh, this evening's is we have uh, richard garcia who is in fact going to be talking about the challenges in researching and presenting gibraltar's social history so not specifically about any particular pu- um, publication he's been interviewed by alice mascareñas and a slight change so more to... about like the process of how he yeah, researches exactly it that, what stories which is, which he, is really interesting because he, usually Chooses the stories. Yes. So, you know, the the process uh, behind the story and how he goes about, um, you know, uh, his writing. And then we've got a slight change to our original lineup. But unfortunately, Keith Madeira is is unable to to take part. So we have Dr. Darren Fah and Ian Valestrino, who's very kindly offered to step in at the last minute. So we're very grateful. And they're going to be talking about, uh, G- you know, Gibraltar's uh, history and uh, changing that uh, original presentation, as it so, were. So they've so, done a lot of research in, I mean, I know Ian, for example, uh, into archives, uh, Gibraltar material in the archives from the Second World War. Really interesting stories emerging from that. Exactly. And he knows the content. So, you know, he, he'll be stepping in and uh, doing the the content justice and you know an audience with is about looking as well at um, authors who are perhaps um, delving into new books researching um, certain content or have recently published books we've got uh, Louis Emmett Stern who brought his play to life uh, um, in in London's West End? That this, play uh, that cannot be named. That's at this right. Hour of the, uh, day. the play on the something spaceship. about a spaceship. That's yeah. correct. He's going to be interviewed by James Neesh. We've got Jonathan Pizarro. Who's that? Part sorry? Of the Jonathan Pizarro. Jane, Jane oh, Neesh, James Neesh. I think the name sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. We might know him. Uh, yeah. Also, Jonathan Pizarro, who's part of the GMBC and has um, that column on, on, in the Chronicle. He's recently published an anthology. He was on Radio Gibraltar this morning. He was indeed yeah. so, and then Rosa Stengo with the challenges of writing a true crime book oh, about goodness. the disappearance of sailor Simon Parks. And Such we have a story. to, oh, incredible. And we have to mention as well Shalina, who's kindly stepped in as well to cover for Jonathan Sacramento, who's who's unwell. So, and then Juan Carlos Teuma giving us his uh, paparazzi experiences. So. All very varied, yeah. you know, and, and that's important when we're deciding the programme. Excellent. Um, and um, and how is it for you guys organising it? Uh, easy to sort of to uh, compel those authors to, to have their say or, or do you have to twist some arms? No, we never have to twist arms. I think people um, appreciate uh, the opportunity and the platform. And what we've achieved over the last few years with the whole Gibraltar Literature Week, because the focus and the spotlight is exclusively on Gibraltar's authors and their writings and the work that they've been doing. And this is about embracing that and embracing the Gibraltarian identity. I mean, this year we're taking it a step further with the Trovadores and Poets de Nuestro Peñón, uh, 
So that's the event on Saturday, which is going to close the whole week. And it's a celebration of our identity through poems and songs. So it's jointly been organised with uh, Gabriel Moreno and we've got uh, different musicians and poets taking to the stage. And that's going to be something really special, as is Lightning Talks in its second edition. So again, an opportunity to provide a snapshot of people who are involved in writing, maybe not necessarily have written a book, um, but, you know, are involved through the process. And um, yes, a really interesting lineup there. Stephen Cumming sort of bringing vision to reality, sort of telling us how he scripts a documentary. We've got Dr. Sonia Montiel Lopez with The Power of Praxis. That was her PhD research mm. at the university. Julian Felices, so he's no stranger, but he's going to, you know, tell us something a little different, a whale in London, sort of about his experiences when he staged his play in the UK. We've got Beatriz Garcia out of Africa and she joins us she tells us about her illustrator journey but when she took part in a writer's retreat focusing on children's uh, literature in Ghana Ghana, as part of the rock retreat um, reach out so that's really interesting and then last but definitely not least uh, Ryan Asker's The Janito History Doctor who really captivates us all with his uh, very unique style but conveying his passion for history and his research into Gibraltar's past so excellent Excellent. A lot happening. Okay, so that's Literature Week, um, bringing a strong focus to uh, local authors. And if people are interested in attending, Davina? Best way is to log on to uh, buy tickets. All the information is there. We've got writing workshops as well and other activities that people... Schools involved. Might, uh, yeah, schools involved, a programme there, because it's so important to, to make this accessible to, to young children as well, to our pupils, and we engage them with uh, many different uh, participants as well. All right, well, best of luck for the rest of it. We'll continue to bring you reports on GBC Television in the evenings and uh, interviews on Breakfast uh, on Radio Gibraltar. But for now, Davina Barbara. Of Cultural Services. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.